0: Oh, that's a Super! super oh, that's a brilliant for the follow-up play by Mahé!
1: Oh my goodness, man, what a shot!
0: 100 set! 100 set! set! Welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. We are in the championship stage of the season. Leagues are finishing up. We've had our first major European trophy of the year in Budapest, where Chris and Brian were in attendance. How are you guys?
1: Hello, Alex. Uh, Really good and amazing to have been at an event at long last. It was a long, long wait to be there surrounded by people It was amazing,
0: not going to lie. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, We'll review a few of the big, big news stories that have come out over the last couple of weeks. And then the main focus, of course, is the men's EHF Final Four, where four teams will be vying for the brand new trophy that will be presented at this championship. And I have to say, I had huge doubts about that trophy. I thought it looked a bit ridiculous, but seeing it lifted in budapest it looked good it did what do you think guys it did look good and a few people have
1: mentioned this to me i think it's a really nice touch for it as well like the holes in the net like that have been created for the tro- so the holes in the trophy which represents a ball hitting the back of the net the metal from that is what they make the medals out of which i think is really cool so everyone on the winning team actually takes home a part of the trophy which is really really nice so uh, an added
2: bonus to uh, the new design there really really nice but just you need to add as well extremely heavy medals and they're absolutely massive uh that was some people's slight criticism of the of the medals but i thought yeah for for i was probably the same as you alex i thought when i saw that the design of it when they put up that pr photograph a while ago it didn't look very good, but when you had lights and smoke and some flares and players behind it and you can see through it, I think there were certain photographs where I thought it actually looked really cool, so not bad. But you got to say the men's trophy, the old one with the arm, is really iconic and uh, you'll miss that one, I think. I, still, I think I still prefer the old men's arm one. I think it's definitely an upgrade for the women's trophy.
0: And it is much better than the MVP trophy, uh, which I think was pointed out at one stage, which was just a little piece of plastic holding up a ball. And that is what Anna Gross got. Uh, the top her. scorer. Yeah, the top scorer trophy. <laughs> the top scorer. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. it. Yeah. The top scorer trophy, uh, which uh, I don't know if it will take pride of place in uh, her living room. But what what did you think of the whole weekend? What was the feel? Did it really feel like Vipers deserved it through and through?
1: I think so. I think there's been few events. The last one I can think of for like an EHF Final Four event was when Barso last won it, that it was like on reflection, so convincing by the team. And Vipers really like pulled it out of the bag. And I think Brian was the only one of us who predicted they would win the, the whole weekend or want, I, I think we all kind of wanted them to win in some way but i don't know if it was uh because we had nora on the last podcast but yeah they were they were so t- totally uh better than everyone else the, in the semi-final in the final they took early leads they were pegged back a little bit midway through the first half and then just stepped it up two or three gears and were brilliant in attack katrina lunda was really really solid in defense they out ran and out fought everyone. They were incredibly physical, uh, and they just had solutions for every situation. And they had Henny Reisa, who had an incredible weekend—twenty-two goals in two games. It was just phenomenal. It was one of those days where you're like, "Okay, this—it's not just you know uh, hype about a certain player. She's only twenty-two. We've seen her do well this year, but to deliver that over two days, a semi-final and the final, is." phenomenal and uh, for that it's hard to to see anyone else really deserving to win
0: an epic performance and it was really funny because you had Henny Reistad 22 year old being a star and on the flip side you had Katrina Lund 41 year old uh, kind of both of them leading them to that title and Brian you were the only one I think that actually committed to breast beating gear me and uh chris chickened out of (laughs) it but you 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 thought that they were doing gonna do it that was an epic game i want to say did breasts deserve it they absolutely did but what made you think that breasts were gonna beat this gear team
2: i think maybe someone like uh golden goes a little bit in cycles and uh she said it to me when i met her for this the little special we did for the for social media i said i was there in 2016 when uh, you won it with CSM Bucharest and she goes I remember I said the last podcast when she goes it actually kind of feels like that again the day before the semi-final and she goes maybe you'll be my good luck charm uh, for tomorrow <laughs> and then she, she I saw her at the hotel and she goes it, it, it worked and then I saw her after the final and she was like it didn't work <laughs> but <laughs> uh, so uh, but yeah I think probably talking to the breast players um, they kind of really Laid it all out on the on the Saturday, and then probably didn't have a few extra gears on the Sunday. And they said it themselves that they kind of maybe blew their gas tank on Saturday, and kind of you could see that Vipers had looked a lot fresher. And maybe that's something to do with the very light schedule that they had. I mean, had they lost, people might have said Vipers didn't have the proper match practice over the season yeah. to to win titles. But they did seem to have an extra spring in their step. But it, I really, really enjoyed the whole weekend because it just felt so different to other. Uh, Budapest events I've been to and I was surprised also that the the fans who showed up on Saturday I was expecting them to be all gone for the rest of the matches basically but I think with the year that's in it the few fans that were able to come to the games turned up on Sunday and stayed for all the games as well I think because everyone's been so starved of watching live handball they were uh, very eager to, to be there for the games that it was the atmosphere wasn't too bad you know um maybe it didn't look the best on TV with just fans scattered around, but in the in the arena itself it was great to hear a, a roar for goals uh, once again and not being able to think straight because sometimes it's so loud. Mm. I've missed that a bit.
0: And and how was that uh that semi-final game, of course, between you and Brest which was just intense. It was pure tension, pure passion, and you were on the court uh <laughs> watching these players celebrate and their reactions but what was the feeling in the stadium and the you know the atmosphere like i'm just asking because i miss it so much i just want a bit more (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it was
2: just it was pure tension you know and uh i was my main job there was during the game anyway it was getting kind of player cam from bench reactions so sometimes i was missing goals or not really seeing what was going on and just kind of Camera focused at the bench, but it was very interesting to see someone like Ambos martin uh, back in your colors absolutely losing his head and uh sometimes getting up close but in timeouts as well I mean that penalty shoot that was just yeah it was just so typical final four and uh I really enjoyed it super tense and uh f- and a, f- a good few surprises also and some tears as well with the likes of Anita Gerberts retiring, and also. Amorim moving on it felt like almost she was retiring even though she's not but the way she was uh, crying at the end she's been to the club for a very long time and she's she is like the quintessential Gior player at this stage and her moving on to Rostov next season it was a a very emotional bronze medal match for them and they'd never been in a bronze medal match before the final four so <laughs> their first bronze medal they're, they're not used to losing semifinals at all
1: objectively speaking the handball in the semifinal that one that went to penalties was terrible Mm. It was not a good handball match in terms of quality, but it was a really good, tense, like proper semi-final. There, and I think that's what uh, made it particularly interesting because neither team allowed each other to. They were so focused on like denying the other one uh, the style of play they wanted to have that they were almost more focused on that than actually beating the other team. And so, I think penalties was almost the fitting way for that to end, uh, which was not the case with Vipers. Vipers just focused completely on themselves and i think that is uh what was the the key for them this weekend
2: i think we do have one story that we could tell uh from after the final uh there's one player now that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't like chris anymore and that's anna gross <laughs> maybe you could give us a bit of insight into uh what happened there chris after the final yeah so uh and the
1: we had the uh these pre and post match shows on twitch uh myself and anja althaus as the The experts, so to speak, and Marcus Floth is the host. And uh, one of the questions from a fan after the semi finals was Who's the better defender, Anna Gross or Nora Merck? Which, first of all, is a completely ridiculous question when you're talking about two of the best attacking players in the world (laughs) and the two best attacking right backs in the world. Um, And I felt that Anya was agreeing a bit too much with what I was saying. So well, she went first this time, and I I, I purposely said whatever she was going to say, I was going to say the opposite. <laughs> so she went for Anna, and I went for Nora. And at the end of the day, I think I, I justified it by saying, like when, uh, like when we spoke to Nora on the podcast last time, when she has this free role, like in a 5-1 defense, that she is a great defender, and she likes to get stuck in. So I used that as it. Anna Gross then (laughs) joined us for uh, a drink at the the hotel afterwards, uh, and this was brought up then. Uh, It seemed to pass over very quickly originally, but then about an hour later, we ran into her again, and it seemed like she hadn't gotten over it yet. (laughs) And so I had to justify myself as she was explaining why, in fact, she uh, is a better defender. And then challenged me to name the two best one-on-one attackers in world handball right now on the on the women's side. And the only hint I got is that neither of them are in Budapest right now, so neither of them are at the uh, final four. I, I did a bit of humming and hawing. I was really careful about the answers I was throwing out there, but I managed to get both names out there. Uh, in a, her opinion, and they were Anovea Kareva and Bruna de Paola, who plays for Nantes, a Brazilian player. And then... It was only when I answered that she said, yes, and Bruna de Paula played against me a couple of weeks ago, and I had her in my pocket. So basically, the reason she wanted me to say it is so she could explain how good a defender she was. <laughs> and then it was all fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, well, it's funny to, to know that uh, the opinion of uh, a random Irishman. I uh, can stay, stay, in somebody's mind for so long, particularly when the reason they're getting paid is more for their attack than their defense.
0: <laughs> so, so who is the better defender, uh, Anna Gross or Nuremberg, Chris? On record, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, I have to, I have to put a bit, bit more research in, and uh, I'll let you know. Next season. I'm not going to jump to any conclusions now after knowing that uh, these things are taken very seriously.
2: (laughs) Last week, there were a lot of titles across Europe that were confirmed, or some some of them were a little bit more surprising than others. And I think TBV Lemgo's win on the Reve Final Four was probably one of the biggest shocks of the whole season. I think when I saw Bjarki move moving to Lemko, uh was it two seasons ago or last season, two seasons ago? I think he would never have imagined that he was going to be winning um, silverware and such uh, tough silverware with and They beat Kiel in the semifinal. Their first German title since 2003 when they had that super, super team that won the Bundesliga and the, and the Super Cup. Um, and their last... Titled them would have been the EHF Cup in two thousand and ten, so great to see them go back on top, as it were. Really good news for them, and uh, the team
1: itself is filled with interesting characters. I mean, Bobby Bobby Schagen, how do you say it in, properly in Dutch? Schache, I think. Bobby Schache <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is on the team on the opposite wing to Bjorke and he he played well over the weekend. Danny Bynes, another Dutchman, is in there. There's a a few Swedes in there. The the MVP of the weekend was Jonatan Karlbergord, who I think only came to all of our attentions during the World Championship in January for being this great two way backcourt player. And uh, yeah, it's just it's great to see a a new name or a, an old name back in the top of uh, of a title like that, beating Keel in the semi final and. Of course, it had to be Melsungen in the final. A team where you know they've been they've been waiting for so long and spending all that money. This is probably their greatest chance since they've started spending money to win a title like this, uh, and they couldn't do it. Classic.
0: Uh, it was just it was inevitable <laughs> when Melsungen Melsungen were in that uh, final game, and they played really well in the semi final uh, to beat a fairly strong Hanover team. And you just knew that Lemgo Boyd by their big win over Kiel would take it, and Melsingen would crumble at any semblance of pressure. Uh, so that is really sticking the knife in. <laughs> but uh, we all knew it was going to happen.
1: The Guardiola brothers are both there, which is uh, which is great. And uh, Lucas Houtecq is joining them from Fivers next season. So. Uh, yeah, solid squad. And it'll be fun to see them. I assume they're going to be in the European League next season as the cup winners, right? Who
0: knows? <laughs> Who
1: knows? How Who knows? Hopefully. Are like.
0: <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hopefully they get one of the spots because it definitely deserved. Did either of you see any of the
0: Vesperm Vesperum uh, final? Yeah, I, I watched um, a bit of both uh, legs and really Zeged were the Zagat team that we remember, not the Zagat team that we saw this season and they're, you know judging by their season, they're just getting into um, <laughs> let's say mid-season form because <laughs> their season has just been cut off so many times, so it made sense that they uh, they won this, they won both legs, uh, they won the first yeah. one by three goals and then went to Vesprem a full a pretty much full arena and won that game again and it was really you know Bombats was on absolute form I really I was you know kind of starting to feel that Bombaz's time seems to be passing or something um, because of his performances during the season but of, of course um, he just needed to get some practice in and play in full form he was just really just dominating that whole attack, uh, him and Banhidi, obviously the, the ultimate connection, and they just tore Veszprem to shreds. Just tore him to shreds. Um, they scored uh, seventy goals I- across two games. That's just, uh, it's just not good enough. Um, for Veszprem. Uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, but I do have to say that I find the Hungarian league format. A little bit ridiculous to have a two legged playoff at the end of a full season is just not enough. You know, other leagues have some sort of playoff variation where you know the top six, eight teams go into a group and have to fight their way up to really prove that they're the best of the best. But in this case, the way it's set up, it just means that the whole season barely matters. Vesperm won the regular season, they won um more games in the full league title and then having to play against the you know the second best team which is a very strong Zagat side to decide that I feel is a little bit unfair and at the end of the day that's what cost David Davis his job which is unfortunate
1: do you feel there should be playoffs or just no just base it on the league
0: well I, I, you you have to do one or the other so either do a, a playoffs with um a a bunch of teams and
1: yeah i suppose yeah but a a playoff playoffs in hungary is completely useless i mean you'll just end up with the two teams barring an absolute miracle right uh true i mean they're basically doing a playoffs but it's just going straight to the (laughs) final they both get buys (laughs) through the quarterfinals and the semifinals
0: (laughs) yeah yeah but maybe then in that case have a, a longer if you're having just one game as a playoff Make them play three or five games, you know something. Uh, so, fair. Make them really earn and win it. Um, yeah. And not come down to, you know, just this these tight two games, um, or just do the league as normally. And, and on the other
1: side of that, which is unusual, on the women's side they had no playoff this year, which really screwed over Jura because they had one bad day and lost the league. <laughs> so it's uh it's uh, uh odd. Usually they do the same, but I d- I don't know what the reasoning was behind two different formats for the men's and women's. But um they mentioned that uh, David Deves sacking there and that is huge news on that side. Um what do you think of it Brian was it was it a, a situation where not qualifying for the final four, not winning the final four back in December and then losing the league was just too much for a club like this to to stand by
2: idly and uh, watch i was almost surprised that it didn't happen a little bit earlier to be honest that it didn't happen it would have been typical of vesper for it to happen directly after they were knocked out of the champions league and i think you look at on twitter to what everyone was saying earlier that no one was really surprised that they kind of expected it that with the the squad that they have and the money they've put into it the it's a minimum that they expected they'd win to take the Hungarian titles, plus not be at the Final Four, at least. So unfortunately for David DeViz, it's his his time has come to an end there. But I think it was you, Alex that, was it you, Alex, that tweeted out about this the squad rotations? That yeah, never he, got the
0: squad rotations right? He he just never really figured it out, unfortunately. Yeah. Um and he didn't I think he let the players uh just do too much. I don't think his It's either that that he chose that as a system, or he just didn't get the players on board because so many times Barazan and Nanadic and Hakeda or even Yakia just kind of do their own things and they really play this one on one handball and it just it wasn't tight. It needed to be tight. It needed to he needed to have you know, can we even say what is prem's number one lineup after two year two years with this squad basically I, I can't tell you what is the best lineup that should line up or has practiced to line up in a final for vestprem it kept changing it kept rotating and it just yeah it it just felt like he didn't figure out this intricate puzzle of having you know 16 18 top players
2: which i'm not really fully sure it's all his fault you know because i think a lot of times investment they're trying to get these signers and bring these big names in and it feels like some of them don't really kind of really match up too well We well, you have players like nenodich doing it all himself th- th- with the, the wackiest goals ever with them with barzan the most basic kind of give it up give him the ball and he shoots so i think there's sometimes a little bit disconnect with some of the styles of players that they had mm. um, especially in the backcourt
0: yeah but at the end of the day it's it's down to the coach to choose those players and put them into a fixed role within a game and that he just never quite got the right mix there at times they looked amazing and i i said it because i think their chance was last year when the season was cut short they looked really really good and um it just it just hasn't come together, and it's yeah, it's just too much to basically lose everything for Veszprem in a season. Um, too much money gone in, and it's it's sad because you do want to see coaches get continuity, and I think what Veszprem are trying to do is get. Well, the rumors are that Kamer Rodriguez will come in and uh, take over as head coach, which. In a way, it makes sense. That's enough continuity in the squad to, you know, for not to be too drastic. Mm. But at the same time, it's another coach that doesn't get a full opportunity to um, instill their style over a long period, which is quite the opposite of what's happened in Kielsa with um, some seriously long-term <laughs> extensions going through <laughs> the likes of which we've never seen i don't think in handball I, with uh the Dushabayev family uh Talant, alex and danny getting contracts out to 28 and it's a real show of confidence from brutus servas in a season where kielsa also disappointed but this is a case of confidence in your coach
1: yeah i think when they got knocked out there was like rumblings and i think even from within us about like talent dushabayev's future and whether you know he still would still, still want to or whether he still wanted at the club but this is like seriously long-term investment and you know looking at the so it's andy wolf is like staying until 2028 on this contract same with talent dushabayev alex for a couple more years danny another year on top of that and then you look at the players that are joining as well like Dylan Nahi is joining this summer uh, who just has like taken over uh, recently as like the most exciting left winger in the world Uh, in 2022 then Nedim Remeli is supposed to join as well and uh, yeah it's just uh, a really interesting project and considering we began this season with our interview with Magda where kielsa were in serious financial trouble and there was like this public drive to get support for them to make this statement that they are going to be financially uh, sustainable for the next number of years and, and make these long-term contracts
0: is uh, an awesome turnaround and you just have to applaud brutus servas we we kind of during that interview at the start of the season we were perplexed how um even though it was his company that pulled out and it seemed like he pulled out financially. Everyone in Kielsa was still fully supportive of him and needed him to be involved. And he's pulled it out of the bag and basically completely vultured PSG. <laughs> because he got Nahi before PSG realized how good Nahi was. <laughs> um, he He now has... Remli which is a bit of a weird one because they already have Alex Dushbaev as right back which maybe uh, Dushabaev will play more as a center player but um still an incredible player with bags of potential and the rumors are that Konku is the other player to be announced um again promising young winger from the psg academy um and now he has a little french community with there in kielsa but i think that's a it's probably a good segue to get into our champions league chat and maybe start with psg and with this announcement of you know the squad being gutted a little bit next season hansen leaving the year after is this a bit of a, a last chance saloon for PSG this year.
2: Uh, it does it does feel a little bit like that, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm not sure what's on the horizon in terms of what signings they have coming in. I don't think there's much. So, joining officially um, Luke Steins, uh, who's already there. So, and that, that's all they have down for the moment, uh, for next season. Uh, Nikola uh, Portner and Begrud will come the season after. So, yeah, not uh, exactly lighten things up there in terms of transfers so it does feel a little bit like that and you look at the players that they have already I mean there's someone like Viron Morris who'll be looking for his his fourth Champions League title he's not getting any younger Nikola Karabatic made his comeback just was it two weeks ago um looking for his fourth title he's obviously um we'll see how what his form is going to be like so a lot of them are getting a little bit long in the tooth so it does feel a little bit like this could be their their time to do it and they'll definitely fancy themselves in the semi-final, and then probably come up against Barcelona in the final. We'll talk about, maybe talk about that a bit later. <laughs> 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 we do, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, uh, in a in a short way. What's the answer to your own question, Alex?
0: I think it it may be a bit of an end of an era. I th- I still think they have a strong enough squad, and they'll probably pick up a few um, kind of players from the lower French teams that will turn out to be quite good to fill the gaps um but i do maybe this feeling of end of an era might um spur them to a a championship this time and i think there's that's it's a bit of a weird final four layout this year um it it just has a real strange feeling to it because as i mentioned psg a bit of an end of an era. Barcelona are at the end of an era. It doesn't mean that they're going to go away after, they'll still be amazing, but it is the end of the Xavi Pascual era. And then you have, you know, Nantes and Alborg who are just happy to be there, to be honest. <laughs> you know, they'll obviously want to win and they're both capable of causing an upset. But yeah, I don't know. It just feels a bit unbalanced and maybe. There's not enough pressure um, right now on any team because Barcelona, since Xavi Pascal is leaving, he doesn't have the pressure to win this one. He has the, you know, the passion to go out on a high, but it's not pure pressure that we see with teams like Veszprim and Kielsa. As I mentioned, PSG, end of an era, um, and then the Nant and Alborg starting
1: yeah i i still feel like there's a lot of pressure on psg and barca um psg for although it is i think the end of the year for psg is that it's the end of ridiculous spending for them they're not buying any huge names anymore and maybe they need to win a title to inspire their owners to actually invest a bit of money Again, because I think that might be a bit of the danger here. If the, the novelty is wearing off a little bit and it still hasn't delivered a Champions League title, they haven't managed to do it in football or a handball. I mean, <laughs> it has to come somewhere, you know, <laughs> before their investors get bored. Uh, and for Barca, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think even though, uh, Xavi Pascual is leaving, I think he, he still really would desperately want to, to go out on a high and, for the whole squad i mean they have under delivered over the last few years in the one competition that really matters to them and so i think they they are feeling the pressure in that regard so yeah as for Alborg, it's the begin. it's the era hasn't even started yet the way we've been talking about it for the last while and i'll, I'll talk a little bit about Alborg because we're if we're looking at psg uh, they're facing each other in the this is the first semi-final on saturday yeah, the first semi-final on Saturday is between PSG and Alborg. For a piece I'm writing for the EHF, I spoke to Stefan Madsen uh, today, the Alborg coach, and he was quite happy in a way that they managed to qualify now because there's been so much talk about the future Alborg team, and said that it has it has been quite a, a serious challenge for him to get everyone kind of focused on the here and now rather than. What Alborg is going to be in a year or two. So I think they have a bit of a point to prove as well. Not just that the, the team as it is is a real contender that deserves to be there, but also as we've spoken about a couple of times that there are players there fighting for contracts and uh, fighting to prove themselves as being worthy of this level when the big boys arrive uh, next season and the season afterwards. And for me, this feels like the game where we could get the upset. I think we we hinted at it last week, but I feel like Alborg PSG could be uh, could be the one where we get the upset. We could have it in both, but w- this one seems a little bit more likely to me.
0: I'm very confident in PSG. I I really like them and where they are right now. And uh, as I mentioned, I, I keep going about this end of an era thing. I think it's a positive for them because they really just I think there's players that want to go out with a bang. There's there's a real love for the team. And they won. Um, so over the weekend, they won the French Championship with a 20-goal win over Nîmes, who are a pretty good team, and celebrated it um, on the court there. And they had fans there. And um, Kevin Dumas actually had some incredible photos of the PSG team celebrating with the PSG ultras with flares mm. topless just you know it it looked like they all were just really in the moment um and uh, again going back to end of an era um it really focused there's a lot of focus on remily Nahi and how they felt. they were leading this uh title celebration as it. As if it was the last, but I think they'll just drive that energy into this um, final four, and they are on form. And um, they beat a very good Kiel team. Um, they have a, a very good coach and Luke Steins. <laughs> <laughs> could be the first first
2: ever Dutch player to win a to win a final four tro- trophy, and that'd be quite the story after his Hall random signing and then all of a sudden changing the course of psg season really as it were so that'll be uh, yeah the feel-good story you have to do do it
0: and they have karabatic back
1: yeah i saw i saw bits and pieces of him play that game against meme and uh, i mean he was throwing himself about uh i i'm not sure how much he'll play maybe if they're like really desperate but at, at the moment it feels hard to to slot him into that team particularly if it's like the quarterfinal with you know the luke steins attack i think as long as he doesn't uh shit the bed we probably won't see much of nikola karabadish this weekend
0: i don't know he's scored five goals in both games that he's played since he's come back
1: <laughs> that was neem uh, a 20 goal victory against neem i i don't know i mean it, it would be very much like him to to just go to go all in at the final four as well but um yeah, that is going to be an interesting question. If, it, if it's a tight game in the semi-final
0: or the final, who where does the trust go? Hmm? Yeah, if anything, it opens up another uh, question for Gonzalez.
1: Yeah. The goalkeepers, that's that's one area we've talked about with this PSG team a lot over the last couple of seasons. I've always staunchly defended Vincent Girard. Now I'm going to throw it to you to to, to defend him or, or, or to admit that that is the... Potentially the biggest weakness for them this weekend.
0: Vansard Girard has one really good game in him over these two games. He always has, if there's two games in a row, he'll have one game with like 12 to 14 saves and then a bit of a stinker. He just tends to do that. He's not a consistent goalkeeper, he has his ups and downs, and that's why maybe we look at him you know we sometimes talk down about his abilities because he has so many stinkers once in a while um but overall he's he's a very good goalkeeper and I think it has to fall right for them where basically in the semi-final I think PSG will be too strong and if that's where Gerard has his bad game they're still gonna win it (laughs) <laughs> I get you I get you I get you so he, he he can afford to have a
1: bad game in the semi-final maybe jan jean comes on makes a couple of saves and the team win a high scoring battle against uh, against Alborg are you are you giving you're being like the Alborg specialist here Alex this season are you giving them no chance
0: I'm giving them no chance and I, I'm, <sighs> just, <laughs> I, I'm I'm putting uh, my neck uh, on, on the chopping block here with that call and again, I think it it's down to the couple of weeks that they've had. They they've played the first leg of their final against uh, Brian's hotly tipped Børre Silkeborg team that uh, somehow made it into the Danish um, League final, uh, and they're going to have that second leg on the Tuesday. They've gone through a battle with Gayo Gay in between there. And that turnaround from a really tough second leg final on a Tuesday to the first game on a Saturday is very tough, uh, not just physically, but emotionally, you know, to celebrate to that They will probably win that, um, but they have to refocus very quickly onto that saturday game whereas psg have basically been looking at them knowing that they've won the league for for the last couple of weeks and preparing for that game
1: yeah
2: are you are you, are you giving them any chance brian i was thinking there when alex was answering the question if that was if just say if flensburg's just managed to get through i'd say alex would have probably preferred flensburg to beat psg would that be correct uh alex well they did it twice this season yeah
0: i'm very big on
2: psg right now yeah. yeah no i I don't know i don't know i just uh, it was very like i mean there was they were so so impressive when we the against uh flensburg and i think we saw a lot of players really like sandel and Claire coming out of their skin and just kind of or playing play, coming out of their skin playing out of their skin or maybe coming out of their skin turn into new people but uh <laughs> kind of, we saw him hit hit a new level basically and um they're coming into it full of confidence. And I mean, so are PSG after their, their, their good performance against, uh, against Kiel. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it as clear cut now as Alex, maybe. I think it, I think it could be a very, very close game. And it probably will come down to Sandel and Clare were exceptional against Flensburg. And maybe that style of handball suited them very, really well. But PSG don't play the same way that Flensburg play. And will it match up as well? Um, it's that's that's probably the, bit, the big question for Alberg. But I t- I, t- I fancy to be close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. I
1: think you made a good point there about the the styles, and yeah, I, th- I think Alborg poses a similar threat to Flensburg in some ways. And seeing as these teams haven't played each other this season, uh, all we can base it on is, is is Flensburg's results against them. But PSG are a different team now. They have come on a long way. They PSG should win. They should win. They always right? should. I mean, they, they they always should win. That's the thing. You know, that's what I... It is still the final four after all, and it's still PSG there. That's why I feel like there is a... At both semifinals, that there is a big window for a surprise. Uh, but Alborg need to have like a perfect day. Uh, the players that you mentioned, Brian, need to... And Stefan Madsen said something similar, like they need to express themselves and and be confident enough in knowing that they make the decisions that's not guaranteed at their first time in Cologne. But a lot of them did just play in the World Championship final in January. So, yeah, look, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one. I think
2: they have a, a real chance. Just really quickly before we move on from this, because Alex put up a thing earlier about maybe the this strategy changing in PSG. And one thing which I've noticed online is when you're asking people for predictions of this Final Four, I'd say about maybe 60% of the comments are people saying, anybody but PSG. <laughs> and uh I mean, you funnily, nobody says the same thing about Barca for some reason, but everyone says the same thing about PSG. Maybe it's a bit more in your face when it came to spending. But do you think maybe if they do go down this route of maybe less ex- exuberant kind of out there spending, that they will become a bit more of a fan favorite over the next few seasons if they kind of rein it in a little bit with spending? Really quickly. We don't have to spend long on that now, but no, <laughs> <laughs> the name Said is really quickly <laughs> the, na- the name is yeah it's kinda- still the money is
1: still coming from the same place which i think is the biggest problem
0: yeah i think it's also the the history element of it you know they while psg have their ultras and they have real core fans in general you know you you do see a fairly small arena that's n- not too full in in normal times and it it seems like a bit of a a fake project because of that. Not saying that PSG don't have fans, but how many would they have had at the Cologne final four? I'm talking about no fans. <laughs> yeah, well, there will be fans there.
1: There'll be five. There'll be 500 fans in Cologne. Maybe a 1000 we I'll find out. Five hundred guaranteed now, which is uh, something. Uh, and as Brian and I experienced, just uh, you know, a thousand or two make a big difference in uh, in Budapest. You're giving Alborg no chance, Alex. What chance are you giving Nantes against Barca? I'm giving them more chance.
2: <laughs>
1: more than zero. More than zero. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, this one's... This one's actually more difficult for me. Because Barca are the better team. They should, as as you mentioned, they should win every game. They're amazing. But... Nantes are the kings of upsets and they just know how to get under people's skin and know how to squeeze out a result and it's in a semi-final we've talked about it that's where that's where you beat barça and <laughs> I just I don't know I don't I have that feeling of anybody but uh, PSG against Barcelona for some reason I don't know why I just don't want them to win it so, you don't want Barca to win it yeah your favourite club in the world favourite football club that I've supported <laughs> since I was 8 years old um, Oh, no, yeah. I just I don't know there, there's something about this Barca team that just doesn't do it for me they're, they're just maybe it, it comes down to that whole they're just so much better than everyone in their league and it just feels they're just constantly winning and even though they haven't done it in a in a champions league for for quite a while now um it, it feels like it, it would be too easy that they just win everything i don't want that so that's that's <laughs> my take. <laughs> okay something yeah. more educated uh, for from maybe Chris well, or brian. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what do you reckon brian When we were talking about the pressure earlier, I was thinking if you're going to make like a scale from one to four, who has the most pressure and who's the least? I was probably thinking maybe Barca have the most pressure because I think basically nothing is changing for the club in general. They're still going to be roughly looking to get big signings, stay the way or stay on top. I don't think that's really changing with Barca. Maybe it is changing with PSG. So maybe... As it is, it seems like their last to Rob. From my, from my perspective, it seems like they have less pressure coming in. And then I probably put Nod third and Alborg last in terms of expectancy slash pressure. Xavi Pascal, I think, has been very disappointed at, at Final Fours in the past. And I feel like he's really going to want that, that hat trick of Final Four titles to, uh, put a feather in his cap before he goes to Romania. And then also be Barcelona tenth title which I think is a nice milestone for him to tick off before he leaves Uh, what was the question
0: an educated (laughs) opinion on the game this this is what I'm looking for
1: what what can Nantes do besides
2: Barca imploding to win this game Hmm. I mean we we said it a a million times over you're going to need you're going to have to have an an incredible goalkeeper performance and Emile Nielsen is looking like one of the best keepers in the world at the moment so if he does what he does best, and then you have those some of non rough and tumble characters in there who who really impress us in the quarterfinals can stick it to to Barca. Well, they'll, they'll really need all their their chips to fall in the right place, but I think the goalkeeper defense thing is really gonna, is going to have to be really incredible. Yeah, but you're dealing with like someone like Aaron Parmesan. I, mean, I think he's played more final four games than anybody anybody else. I think, if I remember correctly, I think that was part of the. The EHFCL quiz. Um, who, who do you think was second, actually? I think it was, yeah, I think I remember the answer. Pop quiz. Who's second most Final Four games? It's 10 games, by the way, the second most. Lazarov? No. Uh Mikkel Hansen with 10. But yeah, th- so you're, you're dealing with a, a very experienced man who's uh, in Aaron Parmesan there, so i think i agree with you with you chris i think the Alborg psg thing is we're more likely of an upset i think uh i'm not fully convinced that nantes can really rattle this barca attack
1: me saying that i find Alborg might be the more likely one doesn't mean i believe that nantes won't beat barca <laughs> i i i can picture i'm gonna save it for the prediction but i'm picturing something that like if none of us predict will be uh sad but uh nantes I watched their game against Montpellier, the final league game of the season, over the weekend. And that defense defensive goalkeeper area that you mentioned there, Brian, was on top, top form. Like, they scored so many easy goals because of the incredible defense. Emil Nielsen was in good form. Cyril Dumoulin was in good form. Fellio is back in the squad. This weekend is his last games with the team. They, they just seem to be so happy and I think they come into this with so little pressure. It's gonna be a real, like unlike the other unlike the, the quarterfinals and the playoff games, which they won. I think their style of play suits Barça a bit more than it did against uh, Vesprem and uh, Kyeltsa, where they said like the awkwardness was really the difficult part. I think that'll like uh, Barça can deal with that quite well. Yeah, I still have to put Barca as as favorites for it because they do just have the best squad and you know, they have to win a bloody title. They have to. It's if this if this team somehow hasn't won over these years since was 2015-16, they won it uh, last, it would be an absolute disgrace and <laughs> <laughs> it would be a disgrace if they can't do it. But uh not Really, they have the tools to hurt them with the like the young players like Emmerich Mean, Brie, uh Cavalcanti, what's his name? Petra Malbec on the line as well. And then, you know, you got the Wings and Kira Lazaroff, who just, you know, know every trick in the book. They really do have a, a team that could, could go the whole way this weekend.
0: So one player that uh, people have mentioned as, you know, this is his make-or-break moment is Mm. How vital do you think he is to Barca winning it all? And what kind of performance, because he always puts in a good performance, but what kind of performance is what he needs to do?
2: I think I remember I said before the women's one that we were, we, I, I think I remember correctly if I said this, or maybe I dreamt it, but I think I remember mentioning um, uh, Reistat before the Final Four as uh, someone who we need to see rise to the occasion and perform and I think you'll need a it'd be great to see DKMM finally having a performance if he was watching the women's final four last weekend like uh, a performance like uh, Henny that, we love I think everybody loves watching DKMM uh, and he's just he's when he's in when he's in great form there's no better player to watch just how he he flows around the court Alex you're the
1: one who usually makes the big calls on DKMM before the EHF final four. So I, I really want to hear what you think he's going to do this weekend. He showed in the in the Christmas in Cologne final four that like the two sides of the coin. The semi-final day and the final day. Um, maybe he is a bit like Vincent Girard. He uh, can only have one big day and he's going to have to save it for the final. But I, I'd, if he do, if he can't do it, then when is he going to do it? I know he's still young, but unlike any Reis, that, she, that was her second appearance at the event. He's been there over and over again. He's been at World Championships and Euros and all this. And uh, I think he is a deciding factor this weekend. I don't think they can win it without him producing something big. And it doesn't have to be 13 goals big. You know, they have Eurodollinets also there. They have other players in the backcourt who can deliver, but they just need him not to go wild and start killing birds with shots over the crossbar.
0: That's exactly it. And, and what I, my second part of the question is, what kind of performance does he need to put in to Excel? And it's not a 13-goal performance. It is seven goals in both games. A you know that kind of consistency is what we want, and I think the way it's set up is that he will tear through Nantes and get his ten goals, but will struggle against PSG um, because they, I don't know, they really know how to shut down a dynamic but slightly one-dimensional player, which is Diakonmen, mm-hmm. because when when you shut down his you know, acceleration, he does struggle, but he'll, that's why he always excels at the start of games. Um, So I think if it is a PSG and Barca final, then he may struggle. And that's, that's the moment he has to really prove it. And we'll need to prove it. I think
1: it's time for the predictions to wrap up because we asked on Twitter earlier on today uh, for people's predictions. So I'll go through some of them really quickly because a lot of people answered uh, so I asked for the uh, the three medalists and the MVP I'm just going to go for the winners and the MVP from different people Arshi Prince went for it. Barca to win and Alex Gomez the MVP Gonzalo Balamano Barca to win Palmerston MVP Red Gold Lion I think that was the one you mentioned earlier Brian any other team than PSG I hope MVP Emil Nielsen Handball Forever Nantes to win Gurbindo MVP Prince Akeem Barça to win, Sindrit MVP. Team Handball News: The so John Ryan. Barça to win and Deke Mem. Brackets, it's time. Strike Spiller. Nod to win. Emil Nielsen again as MVP. Flor Costa. Barça to win. Deke Mem. Uh, Joltan. PSG to win. Mikkel Hansen. Handball Haven. Barça. Alex Gomez. Who else have we got here? Marek uh, Kapovitsky. PSG to win and Dylan Nahi as MVP. David Vediga, who went Alborg to win, and Henrik Mulgaard as the MVP. And I think Henrik Mulgaard can just do a mic drop and walk away from handball forever, if that's the case. And there's a load more, so thanks everyone who who sent in their predictions. Uh, Rasmus Boyson. we'll finish with him. Always looking for a surprise or two. Nantes to win against PSG in the final, Alborg to win bronze, and Emil Nielsen as the MVP.
2: <laughs> so... My favorite tweet of all those things is the response to Strike Spillers' one. Where he has Nod first, PSG second. Handball Haven respo- uh, responded underneath. Well, this would be epic cheese slice emoji, eyes emoji. <laughs> <laughs> he started something there. Oh, yes. So what do you reckon, Brian? Alberg Nod final. And, uh, <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> god I'd love it I think that'd be the most bonkers thing ever um, no I'd probably go Barca PSG final and I just think it's going to be a I said it a few a few weeks ago I think it could be a fairly straightforward final four so I think Barca to win and MVP uh, why not Dike Mem ho- hoping he didn't actually watch uh, rice that last weekend going to what you're saying so don't score 13, uh, 13 goals just score 7 in each game <laughs> and don't take my advice deka okay.
0: Alex PSG to beat Barca in the final, Albor to claim the bronze medal, and Dylan Nahi MVP because I am on this Dylan Nahi steam train.
1: I was a bit annoyed there when Brian said his joke prediction because that is my prediction. And it has been so many <laughs> times over the years we've sat there in Cologne thinking, what? How, like on a Saturday evening, how is this the final? How did this happen? And it happens over and over and over again. And I picture it this time around, it's going to be the same way. It's going to be Nant and Alborg in the final. And Nantes are going to win with most valuable goalkeeper, Emil Nilsson. Most valuable player. <laughs> I don't know Emil I, Nielsen uh, Emil Nielsen <laughs> uh, He probably has to be MVP for them to win right? They're just such a team otherwise Yeah, Emil Nielsen MVP And uh, Barca To win bronze It, it can happen it, can, it probably won't happen But it can happen And that's why we love these events because it has happened in the past and it can happen again i'm not just saying it's cover bases i'm saying because i can actually picture it in my head as another one of
2: those ludicrous saturday evenings it's just a shame we don't have a fourth person on the podcast who just could have picked Alborg to win and then we would have been sorted for all the soundbites for next week's (laughs) well that's why we have to
1: thank the one person who replied on twitter with Alborg as the winner so uh david vedega thank you for the Alborg and henrik mulgaard suggestion <laughs> all right so we'll wrap it up there uh we'll find out very soon who is going to be the champion uh it's on saturday and sunday this weekend with our friend Tom on the mic on ehf tv enjoy it and we'll talk to you shortly afterwards goodbye <laughs>